to the pin podcast i'm your host a pin of miami and here at the pin podcast we talk about modern topics with a vintage flair if it is your first time listening to us i want to say thank you so much for tuning in i hope you stick around and if you're a returning listener i want to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart it means more than you will ever know <laughs> if you haven't followed us on instagram the instagram for our podcast is pinned podcast official and if you want to get a little personal you could send me a text to one 833 pin up those messages go directly to me so if you want to be a guest ask any questions for the show feel free to hit me up one 833 pin up i don't know how much easier it could be <laughs> today oh this whole year has been rough and i feel like a lot of us have been through a lot of financial troubles that we could take as many tips as we can. So in today's episode, I have the pleasure to introduce Mimi (laughs) Serbosova. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's okay. Serbosova. It's a tricky one. I went from a very easy last name to a very tricky last name, so I understand. Well, well, your your account and your Instagram as well is Metal Sweet Money that I could pronounce. Yes. <laughs> Welcome! <laughs> it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I am really delighted to talk about money and about just all of these wonderful things because I know for myself, um, money has not always been an easy topic to talk about. So this is a great conversation to have. And just just for everyone listening, these this is like tips and tricks. It's not legal advice for anyone personally. Correct. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea is that, you know, there's lots of people out there who will call themselves um, advisors or, you know, financial advisors. And really the best, if you really need some good advice or if you really need somebody, go seek out a professional. But You know, I'm happy to share all of the wonderful things that I have learned along on my own personal finance journey um, that has made my life a lot easier and made me actually like talking about money. (laughs) It's so funny because some people find talking about money dirty or like, you know, like a a secret. um... Yeah. And we get a lot of those scripts in our head from our parents. So many times we believe what we believe about money comes from the people that we grew up with, our culture, um, and it's really sometimes very tricky to talk about money just because we've heard certain things um, from our family. And be- before we talk about money, I want to talk a little bit about you and yeah. your love of vintage and history because you <laughs> and your uh, the opera house you do so many cool things. So tell us a little. Oh my about gosh. You. <laughs> Yeah, so I do a lot of different a lot of different things. So um, I, in addition to being, um, I like to call myself the personal finance pinup. Um, I also am a big history lover, specifically local history. So I live in an area um, just about an hour south of Tampa, Florida, in a town called Sarasota, and um, my. Very best friend and now business partner, Andrea Kniece and I bonded over a shared love of local history. And we would go out to happy hour and talk about, you know, the, this, you know, these great history mysteries and things that we had heard or learned like about. <laughs> yeah. And so we um, had this shared love of history and learning about local history. And we'd be at happy hour and all of a sudden everyone else at the table would get real quiet and start listening to our conversation. Um, And we have a habit of talking about 
um, dead people as though they're alive and are our friends. <laughs> like, oh, you know, that's just how Charlie would do it. You know, we just have this, um, you know, very connected feeling to the people that um, make our local history so great. So we started a company called Compass Rose History Experiences. We actually have a podcast, if anybody's interested in listening, um, that is all about some history mysteries. And um, you can check that out. It's a lovably local podcast. Um, and you can also check out our website. Um, so yeah, we're both big history nerds and love local history. Um, so in addition to uh, talking about money, I love talking about history. So those are the two topics you can't get me to shut up about. <laughs> well, then how did this journey get you into money? So tell us how you became a lover of like helping others with money and, and spreading your knowledge and tips and tricks. <laughs> Yeah. So money was never a topic that I was comfortable with. Like I remember, you know, for most of my adult life and really even before then, um, I felt like I needed to learn about money, but most of what I heard were, you know, kind of the conventional voices of, um, you know, people like shaming you for like your financial choices or talking way over your head about financial stuff. And I'm like, I don't understand what this lingo is. I don't really know what this means. It, I, don't, I feel stupid thinking about money and talking about money. Um, and I remember I would try go to open my bank account and like my hands would start shaking and my heart would race and I'd get like a dry mouth. And I'm I sure a lot of people relate looked, to that feeling. <laughs> yeah, right. And so I, um, you know, I remember I would often not even look at my bank account unless I thought that I was close to overdrafting. Or if it was payday and I was like, how much money did I make this week? <laughs> so it, you know, those aren't really healthy things. And finally, one day I was sitting down and I was looking at my bank account and I had, I realized that my credit card was nearly maxed out and that I had a brand new car loan. Um, it was a new to me car. And I just went, oh my gosh, I am over $16,000 in debt. And I work for a nonprofit and what have I done? Um, so in that moment, I was like, I've got to figure this out. And thankfully, um, God, universe, whatever you want to call it, pointed me towards a specific book um, that's called Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin. And I, I always like tell people I have copies that I've given out to people because I'm just such a fan of this particular book. And it was the first time I had he ever heard somebody talk about money in a way that wasn't about shame or blame or guilt. And it was just like, hey, let's figure this out. And so I listened to her book every day on my way to work and on the way from work. And I was so inspired. And I just started diving into, um, there's some great communities on Instagram um, and Facebook, the debt-free community and the personal finance community. And I started teaching myself about money. And through that process, um, I went from being in a ton of debt to now I am completely debt-free. I love talking about money. Um, and I am well on my way to being a millionaire by the time I retire. So you know, you can you can really change things. And I'm a big fan of the idea that knowledge eliminates fear. So I check my bank account all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, man. I, 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 okay, I can't wait to hear some tips because I need to be a millionaire for my retirement. <laughs> 
Compound interest, my friend. Compound interest. It's a good thing. <laughs> so what is compound? See, I feel dumb asking these questions. No. What is compound yeah. interest? <laughs> yeah. So a lot of times we learn about compound interest in our math classes in like high school and middle school, and we don't really think about it. So basically the idea of compound interest is think about interest with debt. So over time, the interest that you pay on debt just accrues. And so that's why your debt keeps getting higher and higher and higher, especially if you don't pay on it. And compound interest can also work in your favor rather than, um, you know, as a punishment for not paying your bills. Um, compound interest can work in your favor to um, help you to make more money. So my money works for me by making more money and I accrue interest. Um, in the stock market by buying, I personally am a, a fan of low cost index funds, which follows like an index. So um, great example is I buy the S&P 500. So a lot of times we hear of that, that's just a particular um, type of index. And that um, makes me money. So as time goes on, um, I just, that money grows and grows and grows. And as I contribute to it, even though I'm only going to contribute a certain dollar amount, the value of that money is going to grow to a point where I will be a millionaire by the time I retire. So, mm -hmm. you know, actually there's a question <laughs> that I'm just going to ask now from one of the viewers. It's, yeah. And I, I put this in the questions because I find it interesting that they don't teach like the basics of financing in the future in schools. I feel like that's something they that don't. should be in schools. Because right now, I'm not going to lie, I hope I'm not the only one that's listening to you that has no idea what a low index and all these. So the question <laughs> is, how can you learn more about the stock market? Do you have any tips? Yeah, so I am personally a big fan of, there's a wonderful guy on um, Instagram that I personally follow. He breaks everything down into a really simple um you know, just really simple graphics and explains things very, very clearly. And he goes by Personal Finance Club on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And what I love is that he he really does break it down. And the the in, you know the whole idea is that you want to live below your means, which means that you don't spend as much or more than the amount of money that you're bringing in. So whatever you're making, you want to spend less than that. And the more that you can use that difference between the amount of money that you make and the amount of money that you spend, that money can go towards things like saving and investing. And the more that you save and invest, that time is going to work in your favor. So I think about it kind of like a crock pot that the more that I just put into it and leave it alone, <laughs> just let time do its thing, the better off I will be. So we think it's this big, scary thing because people throw terminology at us or we see these talking heads on TV that are like screaming at you. And it's actually not as complicated as, as it seems. So um, that's one account I would definitely recommend checking out um, is the Personal Finance Club on Instagram. I believe he's also on Facebook, but um, I don't go on Facebook as often as I should. <laughs> So I'm, you know, I'm going to ask the questions from the, the viewers and then we'll go into your tips into like budget. Sure. There's a lot that has to do with what you're talking about. So, yeah. <laughs> so the one of the questions is how can you save when you have no money? Oh, how can you save when you have no money? So 
I feel this because I paid off, um, by the time I was done paying off my debt, I was um, only, I was working at a nonprofit. I was making about $16 an hour um, and I was working mostly part-time. So I, I know what it's like to just live on a very, very tight budget. And honestly, the many times when you don't have a lot of money to, to pay off debt or to save money, the first question I always ask is, do you know how much you're actually spending each month? So one of the things I certainly recommend is sitting down and tracking every penny that goes into and out of your life. That is the first thing that you want to do. So, and it doesn't have to be complicated. Just sit down, write down, hey, I went to Target, I bought this, this, and this. This is the dollar amount. And you just, for at least a month, write down all of your expenses. That's going to scare some people. <laughs> and it is. And But here's the thing. I When I did that for the first time, I was like, whoa, I had no idea how much money. Like, I knew I was spending a lot of money eating out. I had no idea how much I was spending. And I was like, no wonder I can't save any money because I'm spending all my money eating out. Um, and that's not for everybody. I mean, we do have to recognize that there is a certain level of privilege um, when we're talking about money. And it can be a problem of either you have an income gap, so you need to make more in- income, or you have a spending problem and you need to reduce your spending. And if it's a spending problem, getting clear on what your spending triggers are is really, really important. So I know for me, I do not make good decisions when I'm hungry or tired. Don't make good financial or decisions. Or at an antique mall. <laughs> yes, right? So, But if I decide to go to an antique mall, if I decide to go shopping, I always make sure to carry a bottle of water and a snack with me. Because again, I'll spend money like crazy if I have not eaten. Um, and I go from being very nice and very lovely to not nice um, <laughs> and spending way too much money within a very short time period. So I have to have that, um, that fuel to make good decisions. And so when you start looking at your spending triggers and the things that make you spend money, you start to kind of ask yourself, well, okay, where can I cut? So if you're having a problem of it's an actual spending challenge, you're, you're spending too much money, then once you recognize your spending triggers, you can start to attack the things that are what I call regrettable and forgettable expenses. So regrettable expenses are things that you get at home and you have it and you're like, oh my gosh, why did I buy this? Mm-hmm. And then the forgettable expenses are the things like that you pick up at like the Target dollar spot and you don't even remember that you bought it. Or you go back and you look at your expenses and you go, what on earth did I even buy? Those are regrettable. And those are a great place to start cutting if you're really trying to um, get control of your spending. But again, that's, um, you know, that's a challenge. Now, if you are in the other category of you have an income problem, that's a little bit trickier to tackle. But I'm going to tell all anybody who will listen to me, you, we all, especially if you are a woman, need to be better about asking for more. More money, more benefits, more time. We are not good at negotiating. I am 33 years old, and it was only last year that I negotiated my salary for the first time. Hmm. So, and if I can do it, I promise you can do it. I get so nervous talking to people and negotiating. I am terrified of somebody um, 
saying like, well, why do you think you deserve that? And it wasn't that way at all. Like I negotiated my salary and I got not only what I wanted, but I was also able to negotiate in um, how many hours I wanted to work. So if you're having an income problem, you may need to negotiate your salary um, if you have a stable job like that, or you might need to find um, some extra work, which is something else that I did on my debt-free journey is I worked um, a part-time job to try to just bring in some extra income and all of that extra went towards my debt. So there's lots of different ways to go about it, but the first thing is understanding exactly where you stand, you know, and tracking your expenses is the best place to start. So you, so you need to know first, I, for me, when I sat down and looked at all my money, it was like you, it went to eating out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, and I, you don't realize how much you eat out yeah. when until you put it well, all together. And especially when you factor in and, and again, you want to write down every penny. And so, you know, if you pay with a card for the meal, but then you pay cash for the tip, you're mm -hmm. still spending money. So you want to make sure that you're not forgetting all of those miscellaneous little things. And, you know, it adds up really, really fast. And once you kind of figure that out, you can start to tackle, um, tackle that a little bit. Um, so when, and oh. that's, yeah, no, no, I was just going to say, and that's actually how I started budgeting. So I budgeted based off of my expenses, because how can you budget if you don't know what you spend money on? Hmm. <laughs> how, so the next question, th this person had a follow up question of when can okay. I start investing in the stock market? Like, I guess, since our first question was, you know, how can I save money with no money? When is it a good time to start investing? Now, right now, today, do it today. <laughs> no, but that's, I mean, that's kind of my short answer. But the long answer is time, when it comes to investing, time is your best friend, right? Time and consistency are your best friend. So you want to contribute as much as you can. And the, if you have access to one, um, an employer, uh, an employer sponsored um, retirement plan is the best place to start. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people have um, the opportunity to invest through their employer. And oftentimes, if you work for a company um, that's a pretty decent company, they'll also match some of your contributions. So a contribution is when you put money into an account. Now, my personal employer threw some language at me that I was like, I have to Google this. So my personal employer does what's called 50% up to 6%. What on earth does that mean? <laughs> so basically what it means is that if I contribute up to 6%, they'll contribute up to half of whatever that 6% is that I contribute. So basically I put in 6%, they put in 3%. And many times what happens, it's a multi-step process. So the first thing is you want to make sure that you're investing um, with your employer. So your employer sponsored plan, usually it's what's known as a 401k 403b, a traditional IRA. Um, sometimes you might get a, a Roth 401k. There's all these different terminology, but basically it's just the kind of accounts. You can think of it as like your handbag, right? And you're putting money into it. So you're putting all your money into your handbag, but you actually want to make sure that you're investing it in it. So you don't want it to just sit in cash. You actually want to have stuff in your handbag. So um, you want to buy funds, so you can buy stocks or index funds, whatever's going to work best for you. And a lot of times, if you have an, a good employer, they will um, suggest you meet with one of their um, one of the representatives from the company 
that is doing your investing, always I caution everyone to, um, you know, sometimes people call themselves, like I said, an advisor, but they're really more of like insurance salesmen. So just be careful on that, tread lightly. Um, but if you, you know, like I said, it's not that hard to learn it. The biggest thing is just start. And it doesn't have to be a ton of money, even if you're just like, gosh, I can't, I, I, I can't start with the full match, but I'm going to try to at least get a little bit of the match. Start somewhere. If you can do the full match, please, please, please do. Because like I said, you want to have as much time in the market as possible um, because we're trying to put, have time in the market, not timing in the market. Mm -hmm. And yeah, go ahead. <laughs> what, what if, for example, uh, the job I work at doesn't have any of these benefits? <laughs> yeah, so, so that's a really common one too. So um, the great thing is that you have the opportunity to open these accounts on your own. So for instance, I have something that is called a Roth IRA. Again, just a type of investment account. And the money goes in after taxes. So it goes in after I get my paycheck and all the taxes have already been paid out. Um, and I put that money in. So I try to contribute personally um, as much as I can. And that's increased um, since I've negotiated my salary. <laughs> but I put that money in and then I buy index funds or I buy stocks with that money. And I, again, it's set it and forget it. So I buy it and I leave it alone. I'm not going to touch it again until retirement. And so if you don't have it, um, you can look at things like Vanguard. I personally use Vanguard and you don't have to use them, but that's just who I use. Um, they're a brokerage firm. They have been, had amazing customer service. You can also use like something like Fidelity, Charles Schwab. Um, and really most of these companies, I remember calling Vanguard and going, I need somebody to explain this. I was not a customer yet. And I need somebody <laughs> to just explain to me what this is. And they talked me through um, a traditional IRA and how to roll over from a previous employer into that. When I was going through with my um, opening my Roth IRA, I asked some questions about taxes and how it would affect me. And many times these companies are very, very much willing to talk to you, even if you're not a customer yet. Um, just to give you the information, but the information is definitely out there. And like you said earlier, yeah, we weren't taught this stuff in school, but we have access to all of it at our fingertips. It's just knowing how to search for the right information. Wow. <laughs> it's so interesting to know this because I wouldn't have thought to call a company like Vanguard and ask them because I'd be too scared. They're trying to sell me something, but hearing it from you. Yeah. You know, to educate their consumers to know what they're getting. So that they makes are, sense. yeah. And, you know, and it, not all of them are that way, but, you know, the really the big players tend to be um, more educated. And you can find a lot of great information on their websites, too. I mean, I've definitely gone on, um, you know, these companies' websites just to ask the right ask questions and go, okay, what exactly does this mean? What does this term mean? Or, how, you know, like I didn't know what an ETF was, which is an exchange traded fund. It's a fancy term for basically like, again, the basket of, of stocks and, and funds. So <laughs> hmm. do you have any tips for first time home buyers? Oh gosh, I don't, I have not had the experience of doing um, first time home buying. I have a few friends who have done, um, who have done, um, home buying recently who have, you know, uh, so one of my girlfriends bought her first house and had it built. Another one of my girlfriends had um, just bought a house and then sold it to a different friend. So 
there's lots of, um, you know, like, there's just lots of things going on. But I will say, um, based on some of the information that I've heard from other people, as well as research that I've done, first off, do not buy furniture for a house you do not own yet. <laughs> and two, make sure that you are being very, very careful with your money. So a lot of times what happens is that people will go to apply for a mortgage or they will go to get like the approval. And then the next thing you know, they're buying a car or they're buying, you know, um, a new sofa set or whatever. And it totally messes them up. So I would recommend if you can, before you start even looking at houses, make sure that you talk to a realtor, a licensed realtor and go your licensed realtor is going to immediately say, hey, you need to go get pre-approved. And just because you get pre-approved for a certain dollar amount does not mean that you have to buy a, a house at that dollar amount. So if you get approved for a house that's $350,000, you don't have to buy a house that's $350,000. You could buy one that's two fifty, And you know maybe it's not the dream house, but you really want to make sure that you're not putting yourself in a in a strain because like we've seen with this pandemic i mean this was totally unexpected um and which brings me to another point if you have are planning on buying a house if you're planning on just even um switching jobs if you're planning on having kids like every single person should have an emergency fund and i'm not talking about like oops i spent a little too much this week it is oh my gosh, you know, things have hit the fan. I need to cover cover my bases. So an emergency fund is recommended for everyone. And you can start out with a small one. I started out with a $1,000. Um, I had an emergency. It drained completely, built it back up. And that emergency fund, I'm now working towards it being um, three to six months of expenses. So it takes time, but, you know, an emergency fund is very, very important. Um, especially if you're planning on having a house because houses have lots of emergencies. <laughs> so I bought my house seven years ago. I used an FHA loan and mm -hmm. I, I did that. I went to a realtor uh, and I got um, pre-approved with a bank and I did, I went lower than the amount I was pre-approved for because Mark. I thought of like, what if I lose my job or what if I change jobs? Like I won't be able to afford it. And the tip I would give to anybody is to, I, I called it my life folder and my boss at the time made fun of me because <laughs> she thought it was ridiculous, but I had like a three ring binder and cause banks and all these things ask you for so much paperwork so much paperwork. <laughs> so just keep like all your statements, everything they ask you. I kept it there because no matter what time they ask you for it. So I had everything organized and I always recommend to people that ask for my advice is like have a binder with everything that you needed to get pre-approved and keep adding whatever mm -hmm. else they add you and just leave it there because you never know they're going to ask it for you again. And then, you know, when you yeah. go to the closing before and always read your paperwork before you yes. go. To the closing, that happened to me that I read the the mortgage amount that was going to be the mortgage amount. And I was like, oh, my God, if this is the mortgage amount, I can't afford the house. And I was like, something wasn't <laughs> adding up because it didn't go with like the math that I have yeah. come to know. And I realized that it was a typo that they added another number. And I'm like, phew. 
I mean, I could have afforded it, yeah. but if I can't, if something happened, I would have been really screwed. <laughs> right. So. And, you know, and that just proofreading things and looking at things and be, you know, that detail oriented stuff, you know, and I got to say, I am a very creative, you know, left brain, right brain, whatever that is, um, person. <laughs> I'm just, I'm a very, very creative person. And so if I have to like look through a contract, oh my gosh, I just want to fall asleep. But I, I recognize for myself that it's for my own safety and protection to make sure that yeah. I read any legal contract. So good on you for doing that. Yeah, because I was like shocked. <laughs> <laughs> and another tip I have for anybody looking for houses is just the first house that you see that has your little check marks, because I know everyone has like their little things that they're looking for. Don't fall in love with it. <laughs> most people that I've heard and it did happen to me, but I realized other people told me that the first house you see that checks off all your boxes, you fall in love with it. Even if it has like a little mistake or something, but keep looking because (laughs) it's just Mm -hmm. that, that high that you have of getting a house. Yeah. Oh, this one's perfect, but no, keep (laughs) going because there's going to be others. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, if you might fall in love with a house and you go through the whole process and then all of a sudden the, you know, the inspection comes along and it's like, Oh no, you have termites. Like, especially here in Florida. Good Lord. (laughs) It wasn't termites. It was a, a, um, a water problem, but with the FHA loan, the house has to have certain standards after inspection. Um, so that's why I said, don't fall in love. (laughs) Great. I love it. But I, 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 and I still, that's where my, my studio is in my house. <laughs> so I'm really proud of it. Uh, and I, I took your advice uh, without knowing I, I didn't buy any furniture. I literally moved into my house, you know, cause I knew it was just going to be me. So one of my vendors, cause I worked in furniture manufacturing at the time, I manufactured my own bed at the warehouse and one of my vendors gave me a mattress. So it was literally just mattress, a kitchen supply, kitchen stuff. And that's it. And then out throughout the years, I've been collecting vintage things in my house and slowly it's been a seven year process, but I literally (laughs) moved in with just my bed and it was the best feeling ever. That first night's sleep, knowing that, you know, you got a little place that now you're just paying off the bank. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So the next question has to do with house buying, but I I didn't understand this question, but how can you get 0% down on a house? Is that possible? You know, I am not the per- perfect person to ask that question to. Um, and a lot, I know a lot of things depend on your financial status. It depends on what you qualify for. Um, it can, you know, there's so many programs now. I know like there are programs for, you know, veterans um, for house buying. It, it's really, like I said, it's really best to talk to a professional um, and ask them those questions. And, and sometimes depending on, like, look at the math, like, Sometimes, yeah, maybe you put 0% down, but the interest rate is so high that you're not going to pay off that house in 30 years. Um, it's just not going to happen. So you want to make sure that you look at really look at the math and see it might be better to do 0% down. And then in other for other people, it might be better to, you know, wait to save that that down payment. So I would always talk to a pro. Yeah. I did 3% down with an FHA loan. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what the deal is with Biden giving $25,000 to first time. I, I heard, I've heard about it online, but I don't know nothing about it. But I'd like to know yeah. about it because it's interesting. Is it real? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and again, so many of these programs have 
so many qualifications and things that you have to meet and thresholds. And there's certain things that, you know, um, you know, not strings attached, but almost that's like the only word that's coming with it. It's like, there's certain things that you have to do to qualify. So just make sure you're like, like you did read the fine print. And keep a book. <laughs> how, <laughs> how much, how much of your paycheck should you put in your savings? How much of your paycheck should you put into savings? Okay. So a lot of this is going to depend on your income level. Um, and, you know, there's different rules for different people and it depends a lot on your goals too. So um, there's a kind of an out there rule of thumb of like, you should put at least 10% away. There are many, many people um, who would argue that 10% is not enough. And then other people who say 10% is just fine or more than enough. It really depends on what your goals are and what you um, what you make. So if 10% is a lot of your income, you know, you might be able to have more or less that you need to contribute. My savings amount actually fluctuates from month to month, depending on a few different factors. So one is what my goals are. Currently, I am in the process of um, I'm just finishing up saving for launching a business all about obviously money. And for me, I have been saving significantly more than I normally would because launching a business is expensive. <laughs> so um, once that is finished, my savings rate will actually go down a little bit um, because the things that I need to save for after that aren't, you know, aren't as pressing, aren't as in, you know, I would say right there in your face as, um, you know, as launching this business is. So it's going to depend on a lot of factors, but if you're worried about how much you should save, my guess is you're probably not saving quite enough. <laughs> that would be my guess. <laughs> uh, how much should you have in your savings? I think you mentioned that before. Um, you said you have three months. Oh, no, you want to have three months. Uh... Sure. So um, the emergent, So there's different kinds of savings that you can have. So I actually like to break it down into different types. So First, you want to have your emergency fund. That is most important. That's something that everybody should have because emergencies happen and they always happen at the worst moments and they always happen when you're stretched <laughs> anyway. So having that extra money put away and, you know, it's generally, it's generally accepted that you should have at least $1,000 to start off with, especially if you're also trying to pay off debt. But if you can build up to three to six months of expenses. Now I'm going to, make this very clear. Three to six months of expenses means your absolute essential expenses. If you lost your job, if you um, suddenly were, you know, got a divorce or something really tragic happened, you can cancel Netflix, you can cancel subscriptions, you can cancel a lot of things. So we're talking about three to six months of this is what I need to absolutely just survive. And when you have those three to six months expenses, it's going to take you some time to save up for that amount. And that's okay. It's taken me, you know, months and months and months just to get back up from the, you know, $1,000 um, that I had to use for unexpected surgery. Thankfully, it was, you know, an easy thing, but it was a surgery I was not expecting to have. And to build that back up took several months um, to do that. And now I'm slowly still working on building up to that three to six months. I would also say you should have other savings, are, which are called sinking funds. 
So sinking funds are essentially savings that you have that cover more short-term expected things. So it's not the unexpected, oh my gosh, the world is ending kind of emergencies. It's the stuff that you know is going to happen. So for instance, you can have, um, you know that your car tag renewal is coming up. So you're going to put five bucks away for a couple of, you know, a couple of weeks. You're going to put five bucks away a week till you get the amount that you need for your car tag renewal. So that when it comes up, you're not suddenly going, oh my gosh, I didn't budget for this. The other things that you can save um, for sinking in sinking funds is things like travel. If you want to go and travel places, that's a great place to have a sinking fund. Um, I have a sinking fund for holiday gifts because I know that the holidays are expensive and I never, ever, ever want to go into debt for the holidays ever again. So last year was my first year of a completely debt-free holiday. It was amazing. And I was not only able to shower my um, friends and family. That was your Christmas gift. (laughs) It was my Christmas gift to myself. Exactly. So um, sinking funds are an amazing thing for those expected larger um, expenses that you know you're going to have. And then you're not tapping into, um, into debt like credit cards and you're not tapping into your emergency fund. So Something to definitely think about is, you know, having different savings accounts. I currently have seven different savings accounts. But can you have them in the same bank? You can't. Well, it depends on what kind of bank you have. Some banks um, charge for savings accounts. That's personally why I'm a fan of credit unions. Credit unions are like, uh, I am a fan of them. I like them. If you have a bank that works for you, great. Keep going with it. Um, I also have what's known as a high yield savings account. So traditionally a saving, a regular bank savings account, bank or credit union, your interest rate, meaning your money sits in there and it grows is 0.04%. So less than 1%, way less. And with a high yield savings account, it's 0.5%, so a half a percent. And that difference, let's say you have $5,000 in a high yield savings account. In five years, that $5,000 is going to grow by an additional 200, or I'm sorry, $126. In a regular savings account, it's only going to grow $10 over five years time. Mm. So that's why when you have an emergency fund, you want to, or, you know, a house down payment or other large amounts of money that you're putting aside for a long period of time, make sure that you're using a high yield savings account. Um, Nerd Wallet, which is a website, Nerd Wallet always does, um, like a, here are the best interest rates for high yield savings accounts. Now, before the pandemic happened, high yield savings accounts had interest rates of 2%, sometimes a little bit higher. Um, and those have gone down, but it's still better than a regular savings account for those larger amounts. So, you know, my, my emergency fund is sitting in a high yield savings account. Um, and it just, I love seeing that money just growing and growing and working for me. Oh, I need to look into that. I didn't know the difference between high yield and normal savings. I know since the bank I use to bank with is also where I got my mortgage. I know they give us a free savings, but I'm going to find out if they have like this high yield there. If not, I'm going to yeah. look at it. And more and more banks are getting savvier. So that some like, I know like Ally has, um, buckets. So it's one, it's one bucket of money, but you can say, Hey, I want to say that 
$2,000 is designated for, you know, my emergency fund. And this amount of money is designated for my Christmas. And this, you know, so you can, more and more banks are offering things to really kind of help you stay organized. And this is just another little tip. If you are a person with lots of savings accounts, that's what works for my brain. It doesn't work for everybody, but that's what works for my brain. I name my savings accounts. So I have a fashionista fund and that's a sinking fund. And my fashionista fund allows me, it's in my permission slip that if I see something that I want, a dress, a new pair of shoes, new glasses, new whatever, that's in the category of fashion, if I see it and I just go, oh my gosh, I can't live without this. As long as I have the money in that account to cover it, I'm allowed to buy it. Mm, you're like your own manager. I, love <laughs> <laughs> I am. You have to be, right? It's yes. so much better to ha- tell your money what you want it to do than to be a slave to your money. It's so funny how everything, at least the last couple episodes I've had is all about, you know, the first rule is to love yourself. Same thing here is to own your money and it will work for you if you know what to do. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the best way to budget? Should I use a spreadsheet or do you recommend anything else? So it really depends. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter what you use, pen and paper, an app. Um, there, are, there are great apps like there's one called You Need a Budget. I know that there is a subscription price for it, but some people swear by it. That doesn't personally work for my brain. Um, the thing that works best for me personally is I start with my spending. So I keep track of my spending and I budget based on my calendar and what's in my spending tracker. If I understand how much money I have spent and on average how much I need, for things like my hair care products or for, um, you know, certain savings goals, I track all of my spending and that helps me to budget. But here's the thing, no budget app, um, spreadsheet, none of that is going to be what fixes it. What fixes it is your mindset. So if you say to yourself, I am going to sit down and this is personally what I do. So the night before payday, I sit down with a glass of wine or a beer. I have my little spreadsheet. I check my spending tracker. I check my, and I make a money date with myself. And I have committed to myself that I am going to do, have my money date and stick to that because I owe it to myself. And that's where I sit down and I tell my money where I want it to go. So you can have all the great apps. You can have all the spreadsheets that you want. They're not going to help you if you're not committed to actually using them. Hmm. I feel, so, I don't know about any, any of the listeners out there, but I feel so motivated to like have a money date for myself. Yes, do it. And it, it doesn't take that long. Like I've gotten, I went from like, it usually, it took me when I first started, it took me about 30 to 40 minutes. Cause I like really had to like look at everything and understand I've got, I've practiced and I've done it enough times and I personally budget by paycheck. That just works for me. You can budget by month or by paycheck, whatever. Um, but you know, now it's like, it's a 15 minute process and that's just sitting down and updating my spending tracker is the majority of that time and going, Oh yeah, I bought this and I bought that. And okay. And then it's over. So like, I don't even finish my beer or my wine by the time that I'm done budgeting. (laughs) Yeah. You've gotten to, to, to know what you're doing and and you follow what you're managing yourself to do. (laughs) So what, so back 
back to the beginning is, <laughs> well, this is the last question, but it has to do with the, okay. a couple of budget tips that you have is tips mm -hmm. on saving money. I'm sure it's that coincides with tips of budgeting or, you know, any tips you have sure. for any of the listeners. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier about those regrettable and forgettable expenses. And, you know, those can be just sneaky little things um, that you, you think, oh my gosh, I keep a list. And this is something I learned from Sarah Von Bargen from Yes and Yes blog. I keep a list in my phone of things that make me happy. And I have worked really, really hard to get clear on what makes me happy. And because I know what makes me happy, I can do more of it. So I, because I know what makes me happy, I'm pretty clear on what really does not make me happy. I love going to happy hour with friends and talking and, and having great conversation. I do not like spending $60 to listen to somebody, you know, vent the entire time about the same thing that they vented about the last time I saw them. So I make a point to budget for the things that make me happy and ruthlessly cut everything else. Now, with that said, um, sometimes those sneaky little spending triggers will, will come up and there's different things you can do to, um, to approach it. Again, the less you spend, the more money you have to save. So when you go to the store, if you see, like, I am a, a just a sucker for those can like those nice smelling candles, especially the seasonal ones that have like cute things on them. So here's what I do. I will take the candle off the shelf, walk to another aisle, take the package off if I can, not like damaging it, but just like slip the package off and look at it by itself. Because we have to remember we're working against people who have advanced degrees in marketing <laughs> and like psychology <laughs> who can like package things and arrange things on the shelf to make you go, Ooh, that's cute. So we really have to be thoughtful about, um, you know, what those spending triggers are and really just kind of be able to step away for a minute and say, is it, do I really need this? Do I really want this? Am I buying it? Cause the packaging is cute. Am I, you know, so stopping and pausing and asking yourself those questions. The other thing I do when I go shopping did I take a picture of things? Cause that triggers my brain to go, <laughs> Oh yeah, I did it. I got it. You know? And um, so I take a picture of things and nine times out of 10, a few weeks later, I look at a picture and go, what the heck is this? And I never go back and buy it, but that's what I, Oh, if I really like this, I'll buy it, you know, but I've got my picture of it. So I don't forget. Cause sometimes that, we that's feel me like on eBay. Yeah. When I see something I'm like, I'm just going to screenshot this. Just I'm going to come back to it later. Yeah. Bookmark it. Right. And then you never do, you never do, but that's the, the challenge. The other thing I would recommend is for the love of Pete, please delete your credit card information from websites and from your computer, from the autofill, like just delete it. If, if the thought of getting up from the couch and going over to your wallet to get your credit card and put the information is, is enough deterrent for you to not buy it. You probably don't need that thing. Mm. Right. So a lot of times we see something, we're like, Ooh, that's cute. And because it's already filled into our, you know, in our phone and in our laptop, it's just like, bye now, bye now. Um, so that's a really helpful thing too. And I also recommend because sometimes when you're cutting or especially if you're in the process of paying up, significant amounts of debt budget for fun 
and find ways to do things that you love that are cost effective. So when, because I know I love happy hour, I try to limit myself to the number of drinks I all that I have because drinks are expensive. I also will always look at a menu before I go someplace and pick out what I want so that I can top, total that up in my head and go, okay, this is how much I'm going to spend because I'm going to um, go to this specific place on this day. Um, and that's really helped me too, where I'm like, I don't suddenly go, oh my gosh, the bill is, you know, 80 <laughs> bucks and I still have a tip to leave. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, How would it, what would you recommend for somebody that's in debt with credit card debt? Do you believe in consolidating yeah. debt or paying off the lowest interest one? Like it totally depends, but there are two common strategies that you can use if you're in debt. So the first strategy is called the snowball method. And the idea is you start with the smallest dollar value debt. Um, this is great if you have multiple um, multiple types of debt. So you pay the minimums on everything except the smallest one and you throw extra at the smallest dollar amount first. Because psychologically what that does for you is that it gets you quick wins. And a lot of times we psychologically need those quick wins to go, okay, I can do this. I'm doing the thing especially if you have some really big debts. Um, the other method is called the avalanche method. And the idea is that you are paying off um, the highest interest rate first. So you list all of your debts from the lowest in or the highest interest rate to the lowest, and you pay off the highest inter interest rate debt first, because from a mathematical standpoint, you're going to end up spending less money because that interest rate is working against you when it comes to debt. Mm. So it really depends on which strategy is going to work best for you. But in my situation, my personal situation, I had two debts. Both were of relatively similar dollar values and they were very, very similar interest rates. So I just attacked them both simultaneously. <laughs> Not what I re would recommend to everyone, but like that's, you know, what worked for me. Yeah, and then when you were done, you were able to have whatever money you were spending on on consult like lowering yeah. your debt. You put it to your savings. Exactly, it was like getting a raise. The as soon as I paid off my debt, it was suddenly like, oh my gosh, I have money now. Like I can spend money on things, um, and it was like giving myself a raise. It was amazing. So, do you have a credit card now, or no more credit cards? I do. No, I have a credit card. I still kept the credit card that I paid off because um, that was through my credit union. And I actually applied for a credit card um, for the points because I realized that I had, I personally had worked through a lot of my um, debt issues, you know, mentally, and was able to use a credit card responsibly. Not everybody feels that way. A lot of people, they go through their debt-free journey and they're like, I never, ever want to have a credit card ever again. That was me. And if that's you, <laughs> you know, that's, and that's totally okay. Um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't have any credit at all. Like there are some people who preach that, but you want to, because, you know, again, if you want to buy a house, if you want to, you know, a lot of times even just renting, you've got to have a, a decent credit score. So I personally have a credit card, but I only pay for things that I had already budgeted for. Hmm. Oh yeah. my gosh, Mimi, I've learned so much today. <laughs> That's why yeah. I let her do all the talking today because I'm just soaking up all this, thinking, writing my own little <laughs> notes about all these tips. I know, and we could talk about this for forever. <laughs> so I'm so glad to answer all these questions. I hope they were helpful. Yes. Do you, do you have any questions or anything you want to add? Do you want to ask me any questions or anything you'd like to yeah. add? Yeah. 
So, um, you know, I, I love your show. I have been um, binge listening to a lot of your episodes and I really enjoy it. Um, you know, I, one of the things that I love about the pinup community is that it is so accepting and so um, warm and people are just so friendly. Um, what do you see as potential um, pitfalls of the pinup community, especially when it comes to money? Photo shoots. Mm. <laughs> I think They're expensive. this is my opinion when it comes to both pitfalls in the pinup community and in financial pinup community because that's what you asked, is photo shoots. I feel like a lot of girls, and that's why I started the pinned meetups, is a lot of girls mm-hmm. think they need to be a model and they need to take photos. I mean, nowadays, anybody can take a photo on the, a pretty photo on 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 a cell phone. Um, what I'm trying to do and what I see is that you don't need to take photos, this huge expense to get published in these like magazines that, you know, I think that they could just get printed online, mail to order, um, I just think that's the biggest pitfall spending money on photo shoots. Yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe for a special holiday, but not just cause you got a new yeah. outfit or, you know, <laughs> like a baby shower or no baby. Sh- yeah. Baby shower weddings, you know, those mm-hmm. type of things. I think, you know, yes, because they are milestones in life, but just to do photo shoots, to do photo shoots. I feel like it's money that's going, that could go into your house, could go into payment, could go into your savings, um, so yeah, I mean, that's the first thing in my head that I could think of is, is that because that's the m- number one thing I see a lot of women spend money on. Cause not only does that include the photo shoot includes the clothes, cause you want something nobody's seen. You want your hair yeah. done. If you don't do your own hair, makeup, lashes, the makeup, yeah. if you do it yourself. So, so yeah, like- there's actually, um, there's actually a, a whole a concept around that called the Ditero effect, D-I-D-E-R-O-T. So the Diderot effect is named after this guy, this French philosopher guy, um, uh, Denis Diderot, he was French, so I'm doing my best to pronounce that. <laughs> but basically, he talked about how he was given this beautiful, he, he was a guy who lived basically in poverty and um, on purpose, like that was just, he's a philosopher, so whatever. So, but somebody gave him this beautiful scarlet red silk robe, dressing robe, and he put it on and then he said everything else looked so bad next to it so this whole idea of the dinner effect like he he bought his robe and he's like oh you know my chair that I sit in when I get ready in the morning like it looks so terrible next to my beautiful robe and then he got the new chair and then he needed a new table and it's just on and on and on so I I hmm. completely recognize that where sometimes we we or we get a new dress or we get you know a new hair flower or something and we go Oh man, like I wish I had this other thing to, you know, that was really complex. (laughs) I need a purse now. I need the, yeah. So we spent, end up spending more money than we planned. Um, So yeah, the Ditero effect, it'll get you. Ditero, yeah. See, (laughs) I knew these concepts without knowing the name. (laughs) Yeah. But that happens with me in sewing sometimes. Like I want to, sometimes I got into sewing because I want to create things in my head. And sometimes the dress in the beginning, I thought the dress was going to be cheaper to make than to buy, but it ends up getting more expensive to make it than to buy it. So it's basically because you're making something custom. And if I lived in Mm -hmm. L.A. because I love TikTok because I see these designers and these seamstresses make stuff in the garment district for like ten dollars, make a gown when like ten dollars a yard is like the (laughs) Joanne's fabric or more. (laughs) 
you know, but then you buy the buttons and then the zipper and then you want it to all match mm -hmm. and then it all adds up. And by the end of it, I'm yeah. like, I should have bought a dress. But then you're like, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it is. It is. So like, thank you. That was a good question. I, I answered that relatively quick. That's you did. the thing that came to my head. <laughs> well, Mimi, I want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was an honor and very enlightening episode. Thank you. And make Thank sure you guys you, yeah. give her a follow on Instagram at Metal Sweet Money. I'll make sure to put her other the podcast on the link below and her Instagram so you can easily accessible access it. Oh my gosh, I can't even talk. We've been talking for so long. It's just there. Oh. <laughs> but next week I'm gonna have an actress. She's gonna talk about her time as being an actress, being on set. Um, she's also a pinup model. Name is Luna X Mar. She's from New York. I should hit her up for like fabric in the New York district too. I hear it's cheap, <laughs> but stay tuned for that. And I want to say thank you to all you listeners out there. Thank you so much for listening every week and coming back or listening for the first time. I greatly appreciate it. I hope you guys stay safe, get vaccinated if you want, but please practice social distancing and have a wonderful day. Bye.